It is time to discuss the latest edition of the Locked On Power Rankings, and today we are going to be tackling Norris Trophy candidates. Your Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Locked On NHL Power Rankings. I am Nick Zararis, joined by my co-host, Hunter Hodes. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more right now. New customers get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. Hunter, you and I talk about this award a lot because we feel this is the award that gets voted on the most incorrectly of all of the awards. I'm going to read to you the definition for the criteria for the Norris Trophy, and we can begin this conversation with that. The James Norris Memorial Trophy, or simply the Norris Trophy, is awarded annually to the National Hockey League's top defense player who demonstrates throughout the season the greatest all-around ability in the position doesn't seem like we've had that in a while no and i understand why people were upset last year when eric carlson got it because he hit 100 points but honestly nick i think that's why he got it because no defenseman has hit 100 points in quite a long time so i think the voters were like okay you did that we're gonna give you a norris for this even though your defensive metrics were not nearly as good as say kale mccarr adam fox i mean the heck they keep ranked in the zero or one percentile for even strength defense last year on a Sharks team that was just horrendous. So I understood the gripes from people, but I also understand why Carlson got it. But for this year, I think you have a lot of candidates that have displayed excellence, both offensively and defensively, which is going to make voting on this, I think, pretty hard as well. Just like what we're doing with the Hart Trophy last week, I think this is going to be fairly interesting to see how people vote on the award where it doesn't look like there are too many players who are struggling on the defensive side of the rank that are in consideration for the Norris outside of maybe a couple. I agree with you there. I do think you typically, like we were talking about with the heart last year, typically there is an element of team success that goes into this, unless you do something crazy like Carlson did, like you just said, but typically speaking, I mean, then again, you could say the counterpoint because the year before Adam Fox won in the 50 game season, the Rangers didn't make the playoffs in. So it's a little bit weird. Granted the COVID years where the seasons weren't the equal amount of games, there were some weird stuff with the voting, but the reason, and you and I talked about this with the heart and we can relitigate this now briefly the reason the guy with the most points wins because they just look at the box scores. It is not feasible for most people who are in hockey who vote on these awards to be as clued in as they should be. I mean, we I was talking about this last night with somebody. They try. They do their best to keep up with what's going on around the league. But at the end of the day, they're going to pull up NHL.com or hockey reference. They're going to sort by points. And then they're going to look at the plus minus. And if the plus minus isn't terrible, that person is probably going to have a good shot of winning the award. Well, it's also the fact that they just don't watch a lot of these guys' games just because they watch most of the games for the team that they cover, right? I mean, we, yeah. we've had that conversation over text quite a bit. Most of the people that I feel like vote on these awards only watch mainly their team. And then the one to two games they their team plays – against that candidate whether it's quinn hughes kale mccarr adam fox eric carlson last year we'll get into more candidates this year miro haskinen 
Roman Yossi, Charlie McAvoy, all those guys. That's how I feel like they vote on it. They don't dive into the film and look at the impacts that these players are having on the defensive side of the ring. They don't dive into the underlying numbers that these defensemen have, both offensively and defensively. And I feel like that kind of hurts the voting process a little bit. It's why I always look forward to seeing everyone's ballots when they come out, right? Because that shows me who actually watch the games this year. I feel like that, that's how I, I I was trying to figure out what I was going to say for that, but that's what I really feel because it feels like the people who get this right actually watch the games. The people that don't, they only watch one or two games of that respective candidate. And then they just look at the box scores. As you said, it's some of the voting process is pretty flawed and I kind of wanted to change going forward. Th- that's the real irony of it is th- the old heads who say, do you even watch the games to the analytics community? Don't watch the games. No, nobody who is involved in the analytics community is just doing it for the math sake of it. They are doing the research, the data analysis they are doing because they're looking for a deeper understanding of hockey. You know, what th- there's foundations of understanding the game where, You start out with the baseline. Who's good? Okay, the team that wins the most games is good. Why are they good? Because they score. They have their star player who scores this many points. Okay, then the next level of that question is, what makes this player good? And we can start looking at things like scoring chances, expected goals, high danger chances. And then we can go a tier deeper than that. We can talk about zone entries and exits. You know, there's tiers of understanding of the game that are all interconnected. But when we try, when when we do the gatekeepy, well, you don't watch the games or you just look at the math or whatever, you, you're not engaging with something the way we should. You know, sports get lumped aside that, you know, they're anti-intellectual, that they're anti-logic, anti-science, whatever you want to say. But when you think about hockey as, you know, an academic subject, there are tiers of understanding. To get to a certain level of that understanding, there's got to be a natural curiosity. A lot of people don't have that. A lot of people are perfectly content with this is what happened in the game. They turn the game off. They go to bed. There are pl- the vast majority of sane people. Those are those people. You know, the upper es- the upper five percent of hockey fans. Those are the ones who are on social media all hours of the day. The ones who consume additional content on top of the games. Those are the most engaged, most active, and generally the most intellectualized fan because they want to know more. They want to understand more. And I think that's something that's sorely lacking from a lot of a lot of the general public and the people who vote on these awards. And look, we talked about this last week, and I'll reiterate it again. I don't begrudge the person who's been at the ring from 4 o'clock to 1130, 12 o'clock for not going to watch hockey in their free time because they just dedicated eight hours of their day. I, I don't expect somebody who does that to watch the tape back the next day of a game they didn't watch that doesn't involve a team they cover. You know, we have to be realistic here. Is there probably a better process for this voting? Yeah. What is that? That's a great question. Honestly, it is. And I feel like, you know, it's part of it is some of the local people that get the award ballots I mean, they're just jotting down names because, as you said, Nick, they just look at the box scores and see, oh, this guy had two points last night. He was a plus two on the ice. I'm going to put him there. Or this guy's leading the league in points for defensemen. I'm going to have him just because he's leading the league in points for defensemen, even though that player potentially is also very good on his side of the rink. But you're not looking at that because you're not looking into more of the information. That's what I really want to see for this next step for the award voting is people diving in a little bit more 
to some of the stats and to some of the analytics because there's a lot of really good information out there that I feel like some of the media is not using. And I know what you said. You're at the rink from you know 4 p.m. on game day to like 11 p.m., sometimes midnight overall. So you don't want to get home, watch a few West Coast games back to figure out your war balance. But you know maybe later on in the year when the schedule is laxed a little bit, especially maybe during All-Star break or even the bye week that they've had, maybe that's the point where some of the – local hockey media gets online. It's like, okay, we're at the halfway point of the season or wherever the season is. Let me go on, watch some film here, look at some of the stats and be like, okay, now I'm going to start looking at what my award ballot could look like at the end of the year. I would maybe like to see that a little bit, a little bit, excuse me, and just not have people throwing five names on their balance and saying, oh yeah, I did my job, even though I didn't really watch even five of their games this year outside of the team that I cover. That's the real irony of it all is... I feel very confident in saying the vast majority of the people who vote on the, the these awards, they see the given player, if they're not on their team, at most four times in a single season. Yes. At most. that That's just the way the schedule works. If you're not in the same division, you only see that player three times if they're in the same conference or twice if they're in the opposite conference. They're not crunching the tape in their free time, so it's going to be hard for them to get as rich of an understanding. But at the end, at the same time, there's got to be a curiosity there. You got to want to know more than just the box score. And we can revisit that idea when we get back. It's the same with the national media too, Nick, because I feel like, I mean, they actually watch more games than the local people do, but I feel like some of their ballots are also kind of similar in that way, even though it honestly should be the opposite. We will talk more about that in one second when we are back. The NFL regular season has wrapped up and there is still time to get on in the action with FanDuel America's number one sports book right now new customers get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a five dollar bet that's 150 bucks in bonus bets win or lose the app is so easy to use and there are so many different ways to bet like same game parlays find bets in the new explore tab make a parlay in the parlay hub the best way to find popular parlays, and so much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. I want to thank everyone hanging out with us on this Thursday afternoon as we unpack the Norris Trophy. Hunter, I went first last week with the heart, so I will cede the floor to you. Give me your five candidates, and then we can go back and forth and hit because we're going to have some overlap here because the top of the field is pretty clear. Yeah. For my Norris Trophy winner at a little over halfway point of the season, it is Quinn Hughes right now. And yeah, some people say, well, Hunter, maybe you're being a little bit of a hypocrite because he has 12 goals and 59 points in 48 games. Yeah, he does lead the league in points among defensemen with 59 points. That said, he has been awesome on the defensive side of the ring this year. He ranks in the 80th percentile for five-on-five defense per Jay Fresh's stuff. And if you are not subscribed to his stuff, you should be because I think he does an excellent job in the hockey analytics community. He's been awesome offensively. He's been awesome in his own zone. He's great on the power play. He can play the PK a little bit if he wants to. He's been tremendous this year for the Canucks. You can easily make an argument that he is the catalyst for all of their successes here, maybe outside of Pedersen, but you can make an argument that he is the biggest reason why the Canucks are where they are in the standings right now. Number two, I would have Kale McCarr. McCarr 
you could have made an argument that he could have won the Norris last year, even though he missed a little bit of time. He's well over a point per game again this year, but his defensive metrics continue to be awesome on that side of the rink. He is a one-man wrecking crew when he is on the ice. Those are my top two. Three through five, I had a little bit of trouble. If you look at our power rankings for the Lockdown NHL host that voted on this, they had Noah Dobson number three. I'm going to move Dobson down a little bit because I don't think his defensive metrics have been that good this year. He ranks in the 18th percentile for five-on-five defense. He's been great offensively, but still, the defensive side of the rank has to matter a little bit. I would honestly move up Evan Bouchard to that number three spot. I don't think enough people are talking about just how good Bouchard has been this season. He has the points 42 and 43 games, but he has played like a bona fide top defenseman in the league this year. He is one of the biggest reasons why the Edmonton Oilers are potentially closing in on the NHL's longest winning streak here. They have been on fire for the last several weeks, Nick. You know it. I mean, this is a team that's going to make the playoffs at this point after it looked really bleak earlier on in the season. Bouchard has really taken the jump this year that, honestly, I didn't expect him to. I knew he was good, but I didn't think he was going to be a Norris Trophy finalist at this point. So right now, I have Hughes, McCarr, and Bouchard. After that, I'm going to go Adam Fox. I know he has missed a little bit of time this year, but when he has played, he's also been one of the best all-around defensemen in the league, both offensively and defensively. After that, that fifth spot was a bit tough. I'm going to go Dobson for number five. I I said I was going to move him down a little bit. He's one of the biggest reasons why the Islanders haven't fallen out of the playoff race just yet. And and I know they're not in a playoff spot right now, and they've had their struggles this year. They just fired Lane Lambert over the weekend, which is something that I think everyone saw coming, (laughs) to, to be honest. But Dobson has really taken flight this year and shown why he is one of the best defensemen in the league. I didn't expect him to be a number one guy this year, Nick. I always thought he was a really good number two, number three, but he has taken his play to a whole new level this year. That would be my ballot if I were voting right now. You can obviously throw McAvoy in there as well. I mean, Haskinen too, but that would be my ballot as it stands right now. The way I think about this is I'm pr- same thing with the heart. We talked about this last week that it's all basically for naught because more likely than not, David's going to end up winning that. But yeah. to be in consideration, you know, to be in the top five, that's generally my mindset of, okay, yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you. Quinn Hughes deserves to be the, the Norris Trophy winner at this point in the season. I argue he should be in the Hart Trophy consideration of how good he's been this season. I'm not the only person arguing that point, but he has been one of the driving forces for that Canucks turnaround. Number two, I have, and this may not surprise you, I I was going back and forth between two and three for these two, but I will put Kale McCarr number two. McCarr is the best all around. Def- I would say Kale McCarr is probably the best offensive defenseman in hockey and that Adam Fox is the most well-rounded defenseman in hockey. But Makar is just incredible. Uh, Frankly, you know, he sees the game in such a fluid, dynamic way. He's a really strong skater for a defenseman. You know, he had the 30 goals a couple years ago, which was kind of insane for a defenseman. He is... I when I I tweeted I want to say like two months ago how many all time greats are in the NHL right now and I said Kel McCarr's already an all time great you know you look at that resume he's got a Norris tro- he's got a Norris Trophy he's been a Norris top three guy the uh, two of the other four years and then that fourth year was his rookie year where he won the Calder he won a cup already 
he's already got quite a resume four years into the league, and it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up winning it again this year. Number three, I have Josh Morrissey of the Winnipeg Jets, somebody who's really kind of taken a step in his game that I didn't think was there. The defensive impacts were always there, like dating back to when him and Truba were partners. He was really good defensively, but never really put up the counting stats. He's putting up the counting stats now and and playing elite defense with that. Number four, I have Adam Fox. I watch him quite a bit. He is the only defenseman on the Rangers capable of playing consistently on any real level. The other five are all very up and down. So Fox being as stable as he is, quarterbacking the best power play in the league, just truly a treat to watch. I I, I jokingly say I'm grateful every day Adam Fox's dad grew up a Ranger fan because I don't know where the Rangers would be if Adam Fox's dad wasn't a Ranger fan. And then number five, I have Noah Dobson. Dobson, I thought, would be able to make a step just because I don't think people realize how big he is. Like, physically speaking, like he's 6'3", 6'4", a good 215. He's a big guy, and the offensive instincts were always there. It was just going to be a matter of was he going to be able to figure out how to use his size, which is something that, you know, not a lot of guys do anymore. Like, you can be big in today's NHL and come off like, gangly and awkward as a skater as opposed to using your size to your advantage so the fact he's been able to improve his game a little bit and quarterback a power play that's really that's where the jump in the points have come from the islanders were bottom five power play in the league last year this year they're top 10 and that that's a really significant jump and he's the catalyst he's their quarterback you know they have behorvat they have barzell they have good players on that unit aside from dobson but when you have that elite quarterback to run your power play, that everything goes through. Same thing with with Evan Bouchard, who I thought he would be good, but they finally gave him leeway to run the power play. He gets a lot of points through running the power play. And yeah, some of this is just situation. Guys like McAvoy, they're going to have a hard time ever winning the Norris because they're never going to put up the gaudy counting stats because, yeah, the Bruins were good last year and McAvoy put up okay stats, but he's never going to be an 80-90 point defenseman, frankly. And that's not an indictment of him. It's just the Bruins' power play isn't that tier. Right, and he's one of the players that we would, I think, have in others for consideration, yeah, which for we'll sure. get to a little later on. Morrissey would be the same way for me. I thought long and hard about putting him in my top five. I would probably have him at my number six, to be honest. I just think those five that I had have had better seasons. And that's no disrespect, excuse me, to Morrissey. I think he's been tremendous this year. But it's funny. Our balance are mostly pretty similar, except you have Morrissey in your top three, and then I just don't have him in my top five at all. But I mean, I think McAvoy should be getting more consideration for this. But as you said, Nick, you know, he's never going to get those points just because of the Bruins power play. It's it's not the Oilers power play, which, you know, Bouchard can get more points on because, oh, I have the best player in the world in Connor McDavid. And I also have a top five, top 10 player in the world in Leon Dreisaitl. That obviously helps quite a bit. But I just really like what Bouchard has done even outside of that at five on five and in his own zone as well. Absolutely. And we will talk a little bit more about some of the other guys that are just having really nice seasons that probably won't crack our ballots, but are worthy of talking about because that's what awards are about. Highlighting outstanding seasons. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data. And a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, and you can connect with candidates faster. Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better you get. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash locked on. Just go to Indeed.com slash locked on right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash locked on. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. We are now at a point where... It feels like the people who want to explore their game more, their respective sport more, they fully engross themselves in it to a point where like they're borderline putting together a tack board with string and thumbtacks and trying to interconnect all of the components of a successful team and trying to always get a little bit more understanding. They're always digging through the data. They're always trying to string together new theories, test out those theories. And those are the people I feel like who do the best work. And in in the case of stuff like awards voting, I feel that's where you'll see the big gap is the engaged analytics, film, whatever, whatever additional layer of research they do on top of their general hockey watching. Those are people I typically find have the best award ballots. So for the purposes of this, so the others for consideration, you mentioned Charlie McAvoy, who when he's healthy is arguably just as good all around as Adam Fox, maybe not as good of a playmaker, but McAvoy's better defensively than Fox is. is. So there, there, there's a trade-off in ratio there where like, would you rather have a little bit better defense and slightly less offense? There's, you know, there's an argument to be made there, but McAvoy's great. Miro Heiskanen, another really, really good defenseman, somebody who is waiting. He's in that group with Hughes, Fox, and McCarr, frankly, of just waiting to break through. Evan Bouchard, you mentioned, you know, you know, somebody I, I, I saw jokingly mentioned in this conversation that I, I don't think I would have him in my like 10, but Sean Drusey's having an insane season kind of out of nowhere too. like good player, never barely been like this good ever, but a salary dump and playing really well in Arizona. Yeah, that was – I always thought that was a really good trade for the Coyotes. I just did not think he was going to be this good for them this year. I, I like that one for sure. One who I feel like is also not getting enough attention this year, Nick, is – I had him on my notes. Oh, Rasmus Dahlin. I know the Sabres have not been good this year, but Dahlin has been fantastic as always. He's really molded into a bona fide number one defenseman. I don't think he's getting enough consideration. And also Vince Dunn of the Seattle Kraken. I've always thought Dunn was a pretty solid defenseman, you know, number two, number three. Did I expect him to be a bona fide number one guy for the Kraken? No, I didn't. So I think he should be getting more consideration as well. You mentioned Heiskanen. He's missed some time this year, but he's still one of the best defensemen in the league in general. We've already discussed Morrissey. I do think Roman Yossi with how 
the Predators have been this year. Yossi should be getting some more consideration. He's good offensively. He had that crazy season just a couple of years ago where he had quite a few points. But honestly, I would argue at times he's better defensively than he is offensively. And honestly, same with McAvoy. McAvoy has that one of those unique abilities to really shut down the opposing team's best players on an every night basis. He should also be getting quite a bit of consideration for the top five here as well. Those are the guys I'm really keeping an eye on for the rest of the balance, you know, maybe six to 10 or something like that. That's who I would have my eye on that or potentially players who could sneak into the top five as well, considering, you know, there's going to be quite a few different ballots once these come out at the end of the season. Oh, no, there are always hilarious guys who get like eighth or ninth place votes. Like the one year Dan Girardi got like eighth place in the Norris Trophy voting. Someone's going to get a hilarious fifth place vote that doesn't have A, the points or B, the defensive metrics. And we're both going to sit there laughing about it again. I don't know who it's going to be, but it's going to be funny. Uh, Two more guys, just briefly. Jacob Chikrin in Ottawa, just really solid all around guy. Uh, Curious to see if Ottawa considers moving him if they can't come to an extension because they already have, you know, quite a bit of money tied up in Jake Sanderson and Thomas Shabbat. I don't know if they could justify having three defensemen on long-term expensive contracts on a team. That's not good at defense. Like if you're going to pay $20 million for three defensemen, you would like the ice to be tilted in your favor and not be conceding anything. And then one more guy who he's probably going to end up with a real shot of winning the caller, especially because Bedard got hurt, but Brock Faber is awesome. Yes, like if is. you haven't gotten a chance to watch Brock Faber on the Minnesota wild, he, that is what they look like. He came out of the box first year in the league and he looks the part he's played an outsized role for them. Jared Spurgeon's been out. Matt Dumba's in Arizona. Now, you know, when you are a young guy and you walk into a team, a lot of the time, these offense first defensemen, they really baby you along. You think about Noah Dobson playing two years with Zdeno Chara on the Islanders' third pair, where he was left to die because Chara was there to teach him. At God bless Chara, but at 43, 44, Chara was not an NHL defenseman anymore. You think about the Oilers playing Evan Bouchard down the lineup behind guys like Tyson Berry or Cody Cece, where those guys are there because of reputation, and teams really try to baby along the training wheels, these offensive defensemen, because they're not comfortable with offense first defensemen. They want them to have a certain baseline understanding of defense before they progress them up the lineup. But my counterpoint to that is offense is always going to be more valuable than defense. And if they're good enough, they will figure it out. You don't have to spend two, three years slow playing it because you're wasting valuable time. You know, Faber is good right now. And the wild, the wild were forced into it by necessity. But it shouldn't take that. Like Adam Fox's first year on the Rangers, he got less ice time than Tony D'Angelo and Jacob Truba for the first 40 games of the season. Like, I understand slow playing the offense first guy, but at a certain point when you see them thriving lower in the lineup, okay, we can take the training wheels off the bike and see if they fall off or not. We don't have to waste a whole season with training wheels. And that's what the Islanders were doing with Noah Dobson, funny enough. They were keeping him on that second or third pairing and kind of having him focus on defense first. But it was like, you guys, you have a all-world talent here that can do everything offensively. Take the training wheels off and put them on the top pairing. And sure enough, Nick, they've been able to do that, and he's now very much in consideration for this trophy. I'll make the same statement that I made with Crystal Tang when he first came into the league. They kind of babied him a little bit behind Sergei Gonchar, who, of course, I mean, Sergei Gonchar is – tremendous but they were babying Latang a little bit to make sure that he 
focuses on his defense first before getting in the offense. But I was like, no, just have Latang do his thing. And eventually they took the training wheels off. And now he's, he's actually had a really strong year this year. I don't think it's good enough for him to get Norris votes, but considering his age right now, he's been very, very good. And he's been, I think one of the most consistent defensemen in the league since he came in. As you were pointing out, Brock Faber, you know, the Wild have some good young talent, man, between him, you got Boldy, you got Marco Rossi, who's had a really good year. They have some really young talent that's going to be this good for quite some time. So hopefully the Wild are able to figure out their situation over the next couple of years. I know they have their salary cap problems as well, but I agree. Faber has been a lot of fun to watch, even though the Wild haven't been good. I could see him getting some consideration as well. If I had to throw another name in there, I mean, potentially Philip Horonic from Vancouver. I know Quinn Hughes yeah. is getting the spotlight, but I think Horonic has been very good this year for the Canucks. I mean, I remember I kind of laughed at that deal, to be honest, last year when they got him, but he's mainly eat all the crow and he's been tremendous for the Canucks. So I would maybe throw him in there as well to maybe get like an outside fifth, sixth, seventh place vote. I don't think he's going to get in the top four or anything, but I could see him getting at least a little bit of consideration, especially from the Western Canada media. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, we'll, we'll end on this note. It, it, I find it very interesting that awards voting and like all, all NBA voting is like that's part of the criteria for being eligible for certain levels of extension in basketball. And I think about how many people in the hockey world would be screwed if we're up to the voters and awards to determine how much money they can make just because they're not as tapped in as they should be at. But that will just about do it for this week's edition of the Locked On NHL Power Rankings. Make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcasts or over on YouTube. Hunter and I will see you guys next week.